It's a calling that's kept us free. It's a place to belong. What's the calling? It's doing a job that makes a difference. Serving your community and your country. It's part-time service where the impact is full-time. What's your calling? Air Force Reserve. AFreserve.com. In five, four, three, two. This is the Come On Network podcast. Come On Network, it's on the come up for sure. The best Pittsburgh-based podcast available. Is that so? If you're committed enough, you can make any story work. I, I once convinced a woman that I was Kevin Costner, and it worked because I believed it. Bringing you the latest in Pittsburgh and national sports and entertainment with guests and a plethora of co-hosts. Can we get a come on? Come on. 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 This is where the fun begins. FNA Cotton FNA. The Penguins are set to embark on another playoff journey. The 2021-22 NFL schedule has been released, and the Pittsburgh Pirates are 37 games into their 2021 campaign. It's episode 65 of the Come On Network podcast. It's presented by the United States Air Force Reserve. Part-time jobs with full-time benefits are available at the Pittsburgh IAP Air Reserve Station. Go to afreserve.com backslash Podcast to find out more. That's afreserve.com backslash P-I-T-T-S podcast for more. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and to rate our podcast and or leave a review. We're on various podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and many more. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Come On Network, C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. And we're on the web with our blog, our hot takes, our podcast episodes, and our merchandise store at comeon.network. Kyle Dawson with Donnie Chedrick, Joe Smeltzer, the usual trio back with you for episode 65 of the Come On Network podcast. We'll start today's episode chatting about the Pittsburgh Penguins, your 2021 Mass Mutual East Division champions, the Penguins set to play the Islanders in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. This is, of course, in division one versus four, the Penguins and the Islanders guys after 2019, these two teams met up and it didn't go so well for the Penguins. They led for fewer than five minutes in terms of elapsed time throughout a four game sweep at the hands of the Islanders in Barry Trotz's first season with the Isles in that club. But the Penguins are a different team than they were in 2019, and so were the Islanders. Obviously, that is the case. But this Penguins team gets set to try and go on a longer Stanley Cup playoff journey than it has the last two seasons, which have been a first-round exit after the second-round exit to Washington following the, the Cup runs. And then in the 2020 bubble the uh, we still don't like to count it as a playoff appearance, but in the eyes of the NHL, of course, it is losing to the worst team in the bubble coming in and the Montreal Canadiens. So 
Big opportunity for the Penguins to get back on track in terms of playoff success. Do we see things going well against the Islanders? And what do we think of the overall season this year for the Penguins? Well, first, got to give credit where it's due. Uh, I did not expect the Pens to be a playoff team this year. If if they were, they were going to be that final team in or maybe the third-place team in the East. Not only did they make the playoffs, they won the East. Uh, it was a banner year for Mike Sullivan, which says something, since he, of course, has won a pair of Stanley Cups. Uh, the Pens fought through injuries. They fought through a weird COVID season. Uh, and now they find themselves with home ice uh, for this opening round in the 2021 playoffs. I'm still worried, though, because for as much as we hear about the failures of another Pittsburgh sports team in the playoffs, uh, the Pens haven't done really anything since winning the Stanley Cup uh, about four years ago. I don't like to hear the, oh, we'll beat the Islanders crowd that sort of just brushes it off. Uh, like it's no big deal. That's what people thought two years ago. I know the teams are completely different, but I don't like the assumption mentality because assuming just makes an ass out of you and me. I have some fear with the goaltending situation. Jari and DeSmith have been solid, uh, both good and bad. The, the bad came more so at the beginning of the year, but Varlamov has been around for a while. This is a guy that has played more playoff games then Jari and DeSmith have played regular season games. Uh, nearly 15 years this guy's been around. He was starting playoff games for the Capitals uh, when the Pens won their cup back in 2009. Uh, New York definitely has the experience when it comes to the goaltending play. I'd give them the advantage there if I had to choose. So I don't think this is an easy series. Uh I think the Pens win the series in six games. I could see it going seven. I wouldn't be all that surprised if it went seven. And I would be very worried if it went seven games because, as Kevin Millar famously said, anything can happen in game seven. So don't let the Isles get hot. Yeah, I am a proud member of the, oh, yeah, we'll beat the Islanders crowd. Um, it's amazing. It really is. Going back to the bleak midwinter when the NHL season finally got underway in January, most of us, I know myself, probably didn't see the Penguins as a playoff team at all, let alone a division champion that is entering the playoffs with not a great chance of winning the Stanley Cup, but at least a realistic chance of winning a sixth Stanley Cup. We thought the Penguins' window was shut, and it turns out it's not, at least not yet. We thought that the Eastern Division was going to be a murderer's row. It definitely wasn't in the regular season. And now here the Penguins sit as heavy favorites to win at least one playoff series in this Stanley Cup playoffs. To me, there's no better matchup than the New York Islanders that the Penguins could have had in the first round. I know what happened two years ago, what happened in 1993, what happened in 1975, and what happened in 1982. Long story short, the Islanders have kind of owned the Penguins in pretty much every series that they've two teams have played in in the playoffs, with the exception of 2013 when they got that one versus eight matchup. I know goofy stuff happens in sports, and definitely the Stanley Cup playoffs are no exception to that rule. But if this series were a boxing match, I'd predict it to be a knockout and maybe a technical knockout. 
it's really the perfect setup for the Penguins in my eyes. The Penguins won the division. The Islanders finished fourth. The Penguins won eight of their last ten regular season games. The Islanders lost seven of their last ten. The Penguins went six and two against New York in the regular season. Four and zero at home in the first two games. Already PPG Paints Arena. The Penguins obviously had the home ice as the first seed in that division. The Penguins definitely have more offensive firepower than New York does. Matthew Barzal is a terrific young player for the Islanders, but overall, New York's offense is kind of meh. Finishes 12th out of 30 teams in goals scored in the short and regular season. The Penguins finished fifth in goals scored, so definitely a lot of firepower there. We know what Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Jake Gensel are capable of, and the Penguins are finally healthy. We've Dealt with so much uh, adversity with injuries all season regarding the Penguins. I just called the team we by accident. Apologies to Kyle Dawson. But on the contrary, the Islanders have Simeon Varlamov, who Donnie mentioned as as a positive point for the Islanders when he's healthy. But Varlamov's been banged up. Now, he is expected to go for game one of the series. But if Varlamov, for whatever reason, isn't able to go then a rookie completely untested is the Islanders' backup. So who knows what happens there if Farlamov is not healthy enough to perform at a high level. I think the Penguins have the depth to combat New York's bottom six, which has been a strong suit for the Islanders. So, yeah, I know anything can happen, and I know how bad the past two postseasons have been for Mike Sullivan and the Penguins, but I just don't see the Pens laying an egg against the Islanders. I don't. And I think the Penguins win in six games at the most, probably five games, and I won't rule out a sweep either. Yeah, I, I'm. I've kind of done a complete 180 on the Penguins this year, and it's a credit to what Mike Sullivan and the group has done in that dressing room and on the ice this year. After the the quit job by GMJR, they were five five and one when Jim Rutherford up and quit on the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. After that, when Brian Burke and Ron Hextall took over, the Penguins were 32-11-2. That is 32-13, if you don't count the little point they get for those overtime losses. But East Division champion went through a ton of injuries. I think Mike Sullivan is probably the coach of the year, and he's kind of, I think, maybe even taken himself off the hot seat if he's able to get a series win under his belt this year. Um, but as good as the regular season was and as impressive as it is to have the type of regular season that the Penguins had. And I've always thought that regular season success, if you dominate like the Penguins did for the most part, especially in, in, after GMJR quit on the team 11 games in, when you dominate like they did after that, going through what you did, I think that's more impressive perhaps than putting together a hot run. We know anybody can get hot during the Stanley Cup playoffs and ride a goaltender to a Stanley Cup or ride a couple of really good stars to a Stanley Cup. Uh, this is a Penguins team that I think I mentioned I've done a 180 on them this year. I, I went in uh, thinking that they wouldn't make the playoffs. Like Donnie said, I didn't think they had any snowball in hell's chance of winning the East Division. I thought Washington, I thought New York, and I thought Boston would all be better than them. And I thought Philadelphia would be and I, I know I'm not the only one. I thought Philadelphia would be a lot better than the Flyers were this year. Uh, but the Penguins have, have kind of clicked all the right buttons. That said, the Islanders, as Donnie mentioned, should not be overlooked. 
Simeon Varlamov was 19-11-4 this year with a 2.04 goals against average, a 9.29 save percentage, and seven shutouts to lead the league. The bottom line is that guy is an advantage over either of the Penguins goaltenders right now because the two Penguins goaltenders have combined for one Stanley Cup playoff game with Tristan Jari starting one of the games against the Canadians last year in relief of Matt Murray. And frankly, it's a damn shame that Matt Murray cost this team two years of its window, maybe three years of its window, because he just wasn't the same goaltender after the Penguins won the Stanley Cup in 2017. And it wasn't just Matt Murray. It was a lot of the stars, too. Sidney Crosby was abysmal against the Islanders in 2019. He was a minus four in the four games combined with just one point. It was an assist during that 2019 series. Uh, Sid, Gino. Uh, Jake Gensel coming off the injury last year to play against the Canadians in the bubble. The Stars' bottom line have not gotten it done for the Penguins either, but it didn't help to have a goaltender that just couldn't get the job done back there anymore. And Matt Murray, praise the guy all you want for the two cups that he helped the Penguins win. That is obviously a significant piece and will always be a significant piece of his career in the NHL. But that guy might be out of the league by the time that the Penguins window might be closed at this point if if you think Sidney Crosby and and the Jeff Carter acquisition he's been phenomenal by the way which is another thing that I, I've done a complete 180 on I didn't think that was a great addition when it happened but he scored nine goals in 14 games and, and he was pretty damn good for the Penguins um, but the, the stars have to show up the goaltending has to show up the defense has to be a little bit more protective and not go all the way back to just playing a system but I think the Penguins defensively are fit to to match up well with the Islanders and what they have on the blue line now Mike Matheson probably isn't going to play but you have those puck moving defensemen you have those guys that are quick on their feet are able to turn on a dime and, and kind of move out of the zone and that was the biggest problem in 2019 against the Islanders was it just could never it never seemed like the Penguins could get out of their own zone and go get shots on goal on the other end. And they had problems with entry into the offensive zone as well. So I think these are two different teams. It's good for the Penguins that Anders Lee has done for the year. Uh, granted, the Islanders did acquire Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri. Palmieri's five times a 20-goal scorer, and Travis Zajac is obviously a huge name in Devils history coming over here. But I think the Penguins match up really well against the Islanders this year, six wins in eight games. And the Penguins were ridiculously good at home this year. And Joe mentioned the 4-0 against the Islanders this year at PPG Paints Arena. Obviously, the first two games are there. In 2019, the Islanders had a home ice advantage in that series that they swept. I would not be surprised, like Joe said, to see this be a sweep for the Penguins. I think it's probably a five-game series win. But I'll tell you one thing, and I know that Donnie and Joe feel the same way on this. If this team loses this series, we're going to have a lot to talk about like we did the last two years if we had the podcast before then, of course, we had it after the Canadian series last year. Uh, if we'd have had it after the Islanders series, you could have gone to the well with it. There's going to be a lot to talk about and heads should probably roll if they lose this series because this is as um, 
good a matchup for the Penguins, I think, as they can get. Now, if they get to round two, Boston and Washington, if Alexander Ovechkin is healthy, those are different stories once you get to round two. Uh, and then it's open for there. Anyone can make a conference final at this point, or in this case, just the semifinals of, of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But we'll see if the Penguins have a chance to win the Cup. I don't know that they're a favorite. I don't know that maybe they're even in the discussion for a lot of experts, but maybe the Penguins need it that way. They've always been a team that is kind of – uh, played better under the radar a little bit. And when they're not expected to do great things, um, they've come out of the woodwork and done some great things. So we'll see what the Penguins game. One of the Islanders and Penguins series will be Sunday at noon. And then the seven game series will ensue from there. Uh, but the first game on NBC, and of course we'll be watching and we hope that you'll be watching as well. Uh, we'll have a ton to talk about with the Penguins after that series. Let's guys flip over to our next topic. That's the NFL's schedule release. Of course, as we're recording this, it, it came out on Wednesday, the 12th of May, uh, by the way, for those wondering, we'll eventually have in the next few days or so our phone background with the Steelers schedule on it coming your way. And, and then we had a good response to that the first time we put it out last year. So we'll have that coming your way. But speaking of the NFL schedule release, we go to 17 games this year for every team. So it's an 18 week regular season. Still only one by teams return to London this year and the Steelers. The NFL was gracious enough to give the Steelers 10 home games this year. They'll play the Raiders, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Seahawks, the Bears, the Lions, the Ravens, the Titans, and the Browns at Heinz Field. And they'll have a 10th home game in Los Angeles when they play the Chargers in Week 11. So <laughs> nice of the NFL to give them a 10, 10 home game schedule. But the last month is brutal, and we'll talk about this for the Steelers. The last month is absolutely brutal after the first month is is kind of steady for the penguins or for the steelers rather and they'll have a bunch of primetime games as well two sunday night games we'll talk about two monday night games and a thursday night football game of course every team is required to play a game on thursday night but uh, throw in all the prime times throw in a bunch of force four o'clock or so starts and you've got what i think is shaping up to be not only a tough schedule for the pittsburgh steelers but an exciting one especially if it is the last hurrah for quarterback ben roethlisberger yeah, it'll certainly be a fun journey, uh, as most of these Steelers seasons have been uh, during our lifetimes, because yet again, this will be another up and down season uh, that we see the Steelers play. And I don't see this season resulting in the Steelers lifting up the Lombardi trophy. And, you know, I, I don't have to be uh, a fanboy about it because I'm not going to act like the Steelers can run through this schedule uh, like the way they did for the first part of last year. Y you got to be realistic about it. They are going from one of the easiest schedules in football to the hardest uh, based on uh, opponents results from last season, uh, playoff teams from last season. And you said it, Kyle, the final stretch, the last month, month and a half, you know, starting in December, that schedule is ugly. It, it, it's, it's scary just to look at on paper and the Steelers will have to face that uh, in five or six months from now, starting with Baltimore in early December, that's a home game. Then a couple of days later in Minnesota on a Thursday night, back home against Tennessee, uh, there's two playoff games out of the three I just mentioned. Oh, at Kansas City with perhaps the best player in football, Patrick Mahomes. 
home game against Cleveland on a Monday night, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs in rather embarrassing fashion in January, and then a game in Baltimore to finish out the year. There's a chance, and I've heard a few people in the mainstream Pittsburgh media already say that this could be the last two raw for Ben Roethlisberger. And there is a possibility that in those final two games that the teams that he has beat up on for so many years in the AFC North have the chance to put the final nails in the coffin of big Ben. And there's a chance for that to happen. Cleveland and Baltimore will have two huge chances to likely make sure Pittsburgh does not make the playoffs or dim their chances uh, if they do squeak in because this is an absolute gauntlet of a schedule. If the Steelers don't start something like seven and four, seven and three uh, around that number, I don't like their chances of getting into the playoffs. I don't know what kind of uh, records we'll be looking at around that time but they have to be a lot better than they appear before they hit that final stretch because I see them losing at least four out of their last six, and I think I'm being generous having them beat teams like Minnesota and Tennessee. Baltimore is always tough, whether it's home or away. Cleveland is no joke anymore, as we all know. And at Kansas City, that one could be very ugly within itself. You don't see the Steelers get truly blown out often. Uh, but that could be one of the times that that happens. Uh, I know you guys are going to say it. This team is right around 500. That's pretty much where I have them right now. But, you know, I don't like to guess the games months before the season even starts because so many different things could happen. Uh, there could be key injuries here and there. There's a chance they get very lucky in week four and week five, depending on what Aaron Rodgers does. The Steelers play at Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers claims he never wants to play it down for the Packers again. And the main team that has been linked to him in trades is the Denver Broncos. The Steelers play them the next week. There's a chance that out of those two weeks, they don't have to face the future Hall of Famer and reigning MVP. If that's the case, they could go 2-0 and in that stretch. And with the way the schedule looks, they're going to need it. Yeah, it's... One thing that's really unique about the NFL is how important strength of schedule plays into how we predict a team's regular season to go. When we, before a Penguin season, when we break down how we think the Penguins are going to do, we mainly talk about uh, what's there, what's on the roster. We talk about the strength of the division and what they have to face. But um, in terms of strength of schedule, maybe this year was a little different because every game was interdivisional. But with a normal 82-game schedule, we don't really think about how hard of a slate the Penguins have. Same thing with the Pirates in baseball. We don't talk about strength of schedule in MLB really at all. Um, but in football, uh, how easy or difficult a schedule is really kind of sways how we see a regular season going. The Steelers were 12-4 and last year. And you damn well better believe that that team was aided by a weak schedule. The schedule is not going to help them this year, my friends, at all. The Steelers won't get to play the entire NFC East. Jacksonville is not on the schedule, much to Devin Bush's chagrin. The Ravens will not have half of their roster out with COVID when the teams play. Instead, the Steelers get to go to Kansas City, and try to stop Patrick Mahomes. 
They get to go to Green Bay and possibly try to stop Aaron Rodgers. And if they don't have to stop Rodgers at Lambeau Field, they play the Broncos the next week, as Donnie mentioned. And if Rodgers is going to get traded, he's probably going to Denver. So the Sears will, will likely have to face Aaron Rodgers, whether it's in Packers green or Broncos white and orange. Going to Minnesota on a Thursday night in December will not be easy. Nothing about the Steelers last month will be easy at all. I think going back to last year and comparing that to what's currently on the roster this year, post-free agency and post-draft, the team might be a little worse, but it's not much worse from the squad that went 12-4 and and won the AFC North last season. Some would argue it's not worse than last year's team at all. But the biggest reason I agree with Donnie that, and I think I agree with most other people, that this is going to be a fairly average football team between 7-9 and nine wins is because of how difficult the schedule is. And that's a unique thing about the NFL. A big part of how successful a team season is, is the hand they're dealt with the NFL schedule. And that's part of the reason why Wednesday night was such a big deal for football fans, even though the reveal of the schedule is a fairly mundane event in other sports. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you when it comes to the Steelers and, and for a lot of the reasons that you guys have already mentioned. It, and we talked about this and we will continue to talk about it as we get closer to football season. But I refuse to. And, and if you ask Jack Hillgrove, who obviously everyone has heard on on the Come On Network podcast here, if you ask him, the Steelers are already 0-1 uh, with the, the game against the Bills in week one. Now, obviously, that is an extremely tough game at Buffalo to play in, in a game that the, the Steelers lost last year in Buffalo. Obviously, Buffalo had some playoff success, ended up playing for the AFC Championship and couldn't get by the Chiefs in, in that contest. But this is a Steelers schedule that is just not easy, and there's no way around dancing around that fact. The last month is a buzzsaw. It's brutal. If you want to say that they can beat the Titans, okay, great. The Chiefs, the Browns, the Ravens after that, good luck with that. After you play Buffalo on the road, after you likely have to play Aaron Rodgers at some point, you have to play the Seahawks, whether they're coming here or you're going to to what it's not uh, what it used to be anymore out there. But if you're going to Seattle, same point being uh, there are some very winnable games, obviously, on this schedule. I think the Bengals are still two winnable games. I think the Raiders is a winnable game. Uh, when you go out or when you play the, the Las Vegas Raiders at home, instead of going out to the West Coast, the Bears, I think, are a winnable game at home. The Lions are a winnable game. Uh, that's a team that is still kind of developing and trying to figure things out. And maybe you get one against Cleveland but in Minnesota, but I, I don't know that this schedule is as easy as some Steeler fans are still making it out to be. Some Steelers fans are out there, and, and I think this is to credit to us three, and even Jack, when he's been on, I think we're a little bit more realistic about the Steelers than most other podcasts are in this area. I know that maybe some of the people who do those podcasts listen to this uh, and, and they might say, well, we're pretty realistic. And in reality, a lot of the people in this in this town dog on the media in this town for thinking more realistically about the Steelers, whether that is the guys at the fan or a Mark Madden on the X or any of the writers around 
they get dogged for being realistic. They get dogged for giving their honest opinion and not just saying, well, the Steelers are going to be incredible in the regular season. And they've got their Lord and Savior in Najee Harris that's going to correct every single thing that is wrong with this team. And he's going to push them into their Super Bowl contention. Now, we didn't do a draft reaction episode to discuss the Steelers draft, but it was obviously pretty good in, in some people's eyes, pretty rough in other people's eyes, well, Kuiper being one of them. Uh, but this draft class probably isn't one, and Joe's got an article on the website, so make sure you check that out on the draft class at command.network uh, on your interwebs. But uh, this isn't a draft class that makes it a Super Bowl contender, the Steelers. We're still talking about a ton of losses on defense. Bud Dupree, uh, is obviously not the only one among them. You lost your number two corner, if you will, maybe even the number one corner at times in Steven Nelson. You lost your slot corner in Mike Hilton and a guy that, that could get into the backfield and, and create havoc back there. Uh, Alex Highsmith is going to have to step up. Tyson Alualu back after it looked like he was going to leave. Uh, th- this is a defense that I think regresses a little bit. Joe Hayden is a year older. Uh, Terrell Edmonds is still around, though I thought Edmonds was was pretty good at points last year. Uh, they declined his fifth-year option, so he'll play out this year and then become a free agent. Now they're saying that's cap uh, for cap purposes, but who knows? Minka Fitzpatrick, he's probably still really good. So is TJ Watt, but the defense probably regresses it. And what did the offensive line do to be better from last year's team? Uh, I wonder now Al Villanueva is probably addition by subtract, by, by subtraction, uh, whether he's worried about other receivers making TikToks or not at this point, he's going to get steamrolled by TJ Watt a couple of times over in Baltimore. But uh, I think that's addition by subscri- subtraction. But what else did this offense do to prove to us that this is a better offense? Do we know that Ben Roethlisberger, if it is his last hurrah, is going to listen to Matt Canada and, and run the things that Matt Canada wants to run in the blocking schemes? And will Ben Roethlisberger, I don't think he will, be willing to go under center more often than not? in Matt Canada's offense and allow that pre-stap note motion and guys to move around and formations to change for the Steelers. Like I think Matt Canada wants to run the offense. I don't know that Ben Roethlisberger okays that he wants a yes man as his coordinator. He had that in Randy Featner who couldn't coach an offense at Avella high school. Well, I think that this, the Steelers team is far from being a Super Bowl contender, they're probably a playoff contender right now, but I think like Donnie said, they need to start off really well. And if they don't start off really well, that could spell disaster for them at sacrifice. So two Sunday night football games, two Monday night football games, the Thursday night football game, which we think we're going to be at, at Minnesota in week 14. Uh, but plenty of tailgate opportunity. And the other thing we didn't mention is that the NFL is expecting and the Steelers are expecting to be at full capacity come the fall. So an, into a normal year. And I think what the NFL is describing is the biggest season ever. So 21, 22 schedule is out. Make sure you check that out. We'll have the Steelers schedule background for your phones within the next couple of days. Our final topic on episode 65 of the come on network podcast. We're just going to briefly hit on the Pittsburgh Pirates. They've played 37, got 37 games and much to the dismay of a couple of our friends and a lot of people in the Pittsburgh market, they have not yet lost a hundred games in 37 tries. Uh, but this is a Pirates team that I think we were pretty much where we expected them to be. Uh, they've got a big decision coming up in a couple months, which we'll keep talking about throughout on our podcast episodes when it comes to the number one pick in the draft. 
But this is a team I think, guys, we expected them to be where they are and trying to figure some things out and seeing what they have for the future. And it's been ugly at times, especially against the Reds. It's been looking pretty good at times. Uh, the series against the Twins, the series against the Padres originally, the, the four-gamer, uh, th- that little stretch where they were really good, for, frankly, for 10 or 12 games. Uh, but this Pirates team is where it is, and I think we kind of just have to ride that out. Yeah, after a one and six start to the season, the Buccos got hot for a few weeks. They gave us some some hope, but in the words of the late great Dennis Green, they are who we thought they were. They're not that good, but they keep us entertained sometimes. I normally just hope that they keep us entertained until late July or early August when the Steelers show up at St. Vincent College and get ready for their season. Uh, Mitch Keller, he, he is so wishy-washy. Uh, he either sucks, genuinely sucks, or he looks very promising, and then he sucks again. Uh, JT Brubaker is my guy, though. Uh, he's been the best starter this year, at least uh, in my eyes. He's also someone who may actually be around when this team begins to hopefully look promising again. Uh, Tyler Anderson has been a bright spot. He has been all that the Pirates could ask for. Uh, but he's one of those pieces that should get dealt. Uh, Tyler Anderson, Adam Frazier, uh, maybe Colin Moran. I think that has cooled down a little bit, uh, depending on how the Pirates feel about their first base situation. But it's how things need to happen. And I know some people, uh, when their baseball team is rebuilding, they don't really understand what has to happen for their team to rebuild. It basically means that the team as is needs gutted. Uh, Unless you have some very young, bright future talent on your roster, uh, Key Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, uh, JT Brubaker, those are guys that you want to keep around. You got to get rid of the good commodities that you do have. Richard Rodriguez, who I never thought would be as good as he is right now, uh, he's somebody else that will get the Pirates uh, a pretty decent return when it comes to the trade deadline this year because he has been one of the best closing pitchers in baseball. So, some playoff bound team would love to see that guy on their roster for the seventh, eighth, or even ninth inning. Uh, when it comes down to those nitty gritty games in the end, it's just what you have to do because casual fans will look at it as, Oh, same old pirates. As soon as some guy gets good, they trade him away. That's how the pirates do it. When that's how it needs to be done in this situation, you know, the pirates are not a good team. So there is no point in keeping around some of these guys that are veterans and you know you can get good returns for them. Adam Frazier, solid MLB player, solid bat. Trade him if you get a good return. Uh, Tyler Anderson will absolutely be traded. I had I had some guy on, on Twitter last week say, why would you trade Tyler Anderson? Just let him finish out the season. He looks good. That's the whole point why you trade him, because his value may never be higher than it is once we get to late June or July, closer to that trade deadline, that's just what has to be done. Uh, and if the Pirates are still bad five years from now, then it didn't work. But we're not going to know for the next few years if this whole thing works in the Ben Charrington era. 
And you mentioned the big decision that they have coming up when it comes to the draft. And we're now seeing more that the pirates are going away from the two, uh, deadlocked pitchers at the top kumar rocker or jack lighter and they're liking a catcher out of louisville they're liking a a high school shortstop from where california please just take one of the pitchers throw throw us a bone we there are so many shortstops in the system and i don't know if i like going catcher with the first overall pick you guys know better than me here but I feel like the two pitchers that are in the top of this draft are pretty close to can't miss, and they will be in the big leagues sooner rather than later once they do get drafted. And by that, I mean probably within two years. Just make the right choice here. You have two options. You have two ways you can go with it, and I'm now worried they're not going to go with one of those two picks. Yeah, I'm going to start to do a lot more homework on the draft and kind of assess my opinion because I think for the three of us, basically, we've been so caught up with Rocker and Lighter and Vanderbilt that we've kind of neglected to look at possible alternatives should the Pirates go that route. So once we, um, I know I myself at least, I'm going to kind of uh, evaluate, well, not, I don't know if I should say evaluate because I'm not a scout, but kind of look at other guys that could be taken at that number one pick and see if there's any logical reason that the Pirates should pick somebody other than Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter before I make my final verdict. But talking about the here and now, um, me and the Woodland Fairies, we live in the here and now. This season is all about looking to find the positives. And we knew it was going to be that way coming in. We don't have the stress of thinking about if the Pirates are going to make the playoffs or even finish 500. This team would be lucky to win 65 games. It's not a good baseball team. It's going to finish last in the NL Central. And there's not much Derek Shelton can do to fix it because he simply doesn't have enough good players to manage. And the best player he does have has played one full game this season and is on the 60-day IL. So the best things to do for us as fans is to just look for the good things that are happening around this ball club. Sadly, the rise of Key Brian Hayes into MLB superstardom isn't one of those storylines right now, but there's definitely still some bright lights shining for the Pirates. The starting rotation minus the ticking time bomb that is Mitch Keller has been much better, I think, than we expected. Tyler Anderson has been excellent, which is important because it means, knock on wood, they'll be able to send them off for prospects at the trade deadline or before the trade deadline. JT Brubaker has been very good as well. We hope to see him keep progressing because he's a guy, unlike Anderson, that we hope will still be around whenever this team is a contender again. On the back end of the rotation, Trevor Cahill has had his moments. And Will Crow has done pretty much all you can ask him to do as a number five starter. He definitely isn't embarrassing Ben Charrington, especially since Josh Bell continues to stink up our nation's capital. The back end of the bullpen, I think, has definitely been a bright spot. Richard Rodriguez has followed in the lineage of Pirates closers over the past decade. Kyle Crick has been fantastic and kind of a bounce back year for him. Both of those guys, I fully hope slash expect to be traded in 
at or before July because we know what how important a bullpen can be to contenders down the stretch. So hopefully both of those guys can go. Rodriguez for sure will be gone if he doesn't get hurt. David Bednar also in the bullpen is proving more and more by the outing, I think, that he's more than just a local guy who made it and a good story. The, oh, this guy's went to Mars and he's from Pittsburgh. He grew up rooting for the Pirates and now he's on the Pirates. Good for him. This guy can pitch. And I don't want to overreact or think too far ahead because, like I said, I'm living in the here and now with the Woodland Fairies. But could the Mars High School graduate be closing games for the Pittsburgh Pirates on a regular basis in 2022, assuming Crick and Rodriguez are both gone. I think that's definitely a possibility. He continues to look better and better as the years go on. He hit 100 miles an hour Wednesday afternoon against the Reds. So I think that's definitely something to think about as the team continues to rebuild and these young guys continue to blossom and get better. So he's a guy to watch. And the whole bullpen, really, of young guys, Sam Howard also amongst them, those are guys to watch as this team falls further and further behind in the standings as the summer goes on. So, yes, the Pirates are bad, but this year is all about looking at players who, A, play well enough to get traded and thus help the Pirates attain prospects that can help in the future when the team is ready to compete again. And B, watching players that are already at the big league level like JT Brubaker that are young enough and good enough to help the Bucks when the team is ready to win. And hopefully that's only a few years down the road. Well, I think it can be a few years down the road and I won't go too long. I think you guys have made, and especially Joe, both made some really good points on this. And I... Um, I talked about this on on the Pittsburgh Sports Live podcast with Mike Oste a, a couple of days back. And th- this is a team that if you expected the team to be good, if you had expectations, I think you were doing it wrong. We said on our preview that it was going to be easier for us to go in with little to no expectation for the Pirates because like what Joe said is the entire goal of this year is to see what the Pirates have for the future and is to see – uh, if guys can play well enough to get something return wise for the, the pirates this year, uh, Richard Rodriguez is a guy, both of these guys have made a point about to get traded. Kyle Crick could get traded. Uh, I don't know that any of the position players at this point are at that stage. Uh, maybe the pirates can get a, uh, a can of pop or something, or a can of icy light for Todd Frazier because he was absolutely atrocious while he was up here. But remember when Pirates fans were bitching and moaning after Todd Frazier didn't make the team out of spring training, and then he comes up after making the team, and, and just his worst L of the year may have been to, to DK on Twitter and Mark Madden, but he was atrocious. I mean, th- listen, the lineup isn't good. The, we knew the lineup wasn't going to be good. I don't know why it's a shock to some people when the lineup gets put on social media by the Pirates social team and it doesn't look good. I don't know why that's a surprise. We knew, especially with some injuries to Gregory Polanco and Colin Moran and other guys, um, if this team wasn't healthy at the top of its lineup, we knew it wasn't going to be great. Key Brian Hayes hasn't played since opening day. Uh, That's obviously something that's another discussion point for the Pirates is when they get him back, 
things might go a little bit better for the Pirates on the field because you're getting arguably your best player back, at least defensively. He's, he's definitely the best player. Uh, offensively, kind of go wherever you want with that. Brian Reynolds has had a little bit of a bounce back. He's been pretty good. Um, he probably is a part of this team's future. And, and that's what you're trying to figure out is who is a part of this future, who is not a part of this future, whether that is because they just stink or if that's because they'll be traded and you can get prospects in return. In the end, the goal of this season is to get prospects and figure out what is in your future. We're going to see another one as this one, this episode comes out on Friday the 14th. We're going to see Miguel Yahore pitch for a second time. He's going to come up and make a start. We're seeing another glimpse of Will Craig after we saw him toward the end of 2020. And Will Craig had a good start to the AAA season down in Indianapolis. Our friend Travis Swaggerty's had a good start down in AAA with the Indianapolis Indians. So it might not be too long before, maybe even at a faster pace, that you see Travis Swaggerty at PNC Park and in a Pirates uniform. Uh, this is a team that, if you want to follow minor league baseball, there's some pretty damn good players down in the minor league system for the pirates right now. And only going to have more come on when you make the trades for Rod with Rodriguez and maybe crick and Tyler Anderson, which if you're at this point, the guy on Twitter, who's telling Donnie that he's an idiot for suggesting that the pirates should trade Tyler Anderson. I don't really know what to tell you. You're kind of just out of the loop uh, not really knowledgeable about what's going on, not knowledgeable about what it takes to go through a rebuild. The team is going to suck. We knew this. This shouldn't be a surprise. Yet it's a surprise for some people, and they still want to dog the Pirates organization when, for all intents and purposes, Ben Sherrington has done a pretty damn good job since he took over in the Neil Huntington regime being let go and Clint Hurdle being let go. And we didn't love the, the job at the managerial position of Derek Shelton last year, but in the end, we can't really judge him until you put a team out there that can compete. And hopefully that's sooner rather than later for this Pittsburgh Pirates team. We will uh, wrap this episode up. It's ex episode 65 of the Come On Network podcast. We'll wrap it up for you in one minute. It's presented by the United States Air Force Reserve. Zetterberg installed to go for it with six and a half to go. Off the tie-up. It comes back to the point. Rebolski, the shot. Knocked down and comes back. Another shot. Another shot. Doc Emmerich here. If you want to know all about sports, just stay right where you are. The Come On Network. It's a calling that's kept us free. It's a place to belong. What's the calling? It's doing a job that makes a difference. Serving your community and your country. It's part-time service where the impact is full-time. What's your calling? Air Force Reserve. AFreserve.com. Before we go, a reminder to hit the subscribe button and to rate our podcast and or to leave a review. That was episode 65 of the Come On Network podcast. People can listen to us and find us on any podcast platform for the most part. It includes Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor, and more. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Come On Network. That's C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. 
We have our website as well at comeon.network. It has our blog, our hot takes, the podcast episodes, and you can find our merchandise store there as well. That's at comeon.network backslash store. But the website is up and live and running at comeon.network. Today's episode of the Come On Network podcast is and was presented by the United States Air Force Reserve. Part-time jobs with full-time benefits are available at the Pittsburgh IAP Air Reserve Station. Go to afreserve.com backslash pits podcast. That's afreserve.com backslash P-I-T-T-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T to find out more. Until next time, stay safe. Go Penguins. Let's go Bucks. And come on. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.